Are you a teacher who just moved to Denmark? Then you'll love our conversation with our next guest because she shares what schools are looking for when hiring teachers and how she prepared for those interviews that led her to the jobs that she wanted. But before we listen to her experience applying for jobs in Denmark and navigating life in a new country, I want to tell you that yes, summer might be over, but there's so much more to look forward to. For example, the International Citizen Day, happening virtually this year on September 14th, 15th, 16th, and 19th. The International House Copenhagen will be hosting a series of online events for newcomers to learn resources on how to adjust and start your life in Denmark. You can visit the website of the International House Copenhagen to sign up. And our friend Jenny Ostersko Hansen will be presenting on Wednesday, September 16th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Jenny, the founder of Here We Are Global, will talk to you about dual career opportunities and co-creating your best life in Denmark as an international career couple. And also about global competencies in a Danish context, HR insights to boost your quest for professional engagement. There will be time for Q&A, so get ready to get answers to your questions. So now that I've done my good deed telling you about this event, let's go ahead and listen to our conversation with our friend Jessica. In this episode, we talk to Jessica Blatter. Jessica moved to Copenhagen in July 2019 from Madison, Wisconsin, and she's a teacher with an undergraduate in elementary education and Spanish education, and also a master's in teaching English as a second language. She had been teaching for three years before moving to Denmark, and she just finished a year of teaching second grade at Copenhagen International School. And yeah, let's say hi to her. Hi, Jessica. How are you doing today? Hi, Rita. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. So why don't we start by uh, by you sharing a little bit about yourself and why you're here in Denmark? All right. Well, um, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm in the United States. And I moved here last summer to be with my husband, Morten, who is a Danish citizen. I moved here last year to be with him. Awesome. And uh, when did you move here last year? Summer or? Yes, I moved here last July. I think it was July 1st. And that was, um, I think it was like a year after we got married, actually. So reunite. <laughs> and um, when you moved here, what expectations do you have? for your professional life? Because I know that before moving here, you had just uh, finished your master's, right? Yeah, that's correct. Can you tell us yes. a little bit more about yeah, your professional background? Definitely. So, um, yeah, I kind of have to talk about our relationship first a little yeah, bit in that, order to explain yeah, it. Great. But um, I met Morton when I was studying my uh, undergrad, my bachelor's degree. Um, at the University of Wisconsin La Crosse, um, and then we dated like long distance for like four years. So of course, in that time, I had graduated and I had started teaching as a uh, first grade homeroom teacher um, in my hometown of Madison. And then after a couple years, I started to think, you know, what country should we start in? Um, and it kind of came down to the fact that I moved here because. It would actually be a little bit easier for me to start a job and find something in Denmark than the other way around. So in preparation for that, I got my master's degree, which was a master's degree in teaching English as a second language, because I do love teaching and I love what I do. So I knew that if I, I moved abroad, I would definitely want to be teaching. So I would do anything to help get me the chance to get a job. Um, so, yeah, we applied for my like visa to move here. 
And in that time, you actually, when you apply for a visa as a spousal reunification in Denmark, you can't work. So you can't work or volunteer or do anything. So I decided to actually stay in the United States and wait for the approval so I could keep working. So yes, um, I tried to do everything I could to prepare so that when I arrived in Denmark, I was approved and ready to be able to find a job right away. Um, yeah, so I taught three and a half years, first grade, and then I got approved and then I moved here in July. Yeah, so what, what I remember um, when, when we met last year was that you were very eager to find a job right away and we both moved to Denmark at the same time. So we were both uh, eager to, you know, be part of the culture here and uh, hopefully through work. Um, how was that for you? Like when you started looking for a job in Denmark, what was your experience? Yeah, so... Yeah, it's it's really it was really interesting moving from the United States to Denmark. And I think I had this idea that because I when I was in the United States, I actually started applying to international schools to be a teacher. And I just wasn't hearing back. And I figured, you know, everyone would tell me it'll get better when you like um, move abroad and you're able to get into schools. And um, so I just figured I'd follow that advice. So I moved and, you know, it's the summer. So schools were closed down. Um, so I kind of had to start with something else in the meantime um, in the summer. So, uh, yeah, I started taking Danish classes um, and just trying to get used to Copenhagen. But I, in the meantime, like for jobs, I made a LinkedIn because it's more common here. People use LinkedIn and it's, it's very much about networking. Um, so I, I tried to get in touch with people, but... Yeah, I don't know. I guess, you know, my first real experience doing something was the Danish classes. And that was kind of an exper interesting experience as well, because there's a lot of international um, like adults who had also moved from other countries to be in Denmark. And some had been here for like a few months and some had been here for years. And generally speaking, a lot of them would say, oh, it's going to be really hard to get a job. There's not many English speaking jobs. Um, everything's very competitive. It might take you a year. So when I got here in the summer, I think my my um, mentality had mm -hmm. gotten a little bit more negative about the whole job application process just because there were no jobs opening. It was the summer. Everything's closed here in Denmark. And many people were telling me it would take a year. So, yeah. How was that for you? Because you had been working already for three to four years, right, in the U.S.? Yeah, it was kind of demoralizing, of course, when other people who also have their degrees in a certain field are telling you that you should work like you should do. You should be a waitress or you should go work in a bakery or a coffee shop when like I've come over here with my master's and my graduate and like experience and, of course, like a love of what I do. So that was frustrating, I think, for July and August. But mm -hmm. then when school started to open, um, I was able to send my application in and get into schools as a substitute teacher for international schools. And I think that was really the right uh Yeah, I just got my foot in the door and then opportunities started coming. So Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more of, of that process from knowing that you want to find a job in the field that you love? How um how do you find out that, oh, actually I have to do it through LinkedIn or oh I have to start connecting with people? Like I mean, how do you get to learn that? Yeah. Well, the LinkedIn and the networking, I think I found out about by doing just a lot of research, just like going online and figuring out how, like, where do you see jobs pop up in Denmark? Um, how do you meet people who are already in the field? 
And also my husband uses LinkedIn um, and he used it when he was applying for job. And I just noticed it was very common in Denmark. So that was something that I definitely would say helped me network and meet some other educators already in the international schools. And they all told me the same thing, which was to start by being a sub, like a substitute teacher, going in daily and getting your foot in the door. Um, yeah. And how how do you choose what schools to start reaching out to? Honestly, I just looked up all the international schools that <laughs> are in English and I just applied to all of those. So. <laughs> I wouldn't say I had much uh, choice. It was more like I'm going to reach out to the schools that, that they speak English, they're well known, they're established, and I'll just see if I hear back from them. And then if I don't, I'll reach out to other schools. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I heard back from Copenhagen International School and International School of Hellerup right away. And yeah, I just started substitute teaching. And it, it, I would say that process wasn't very hard. Um, in the United States, you know, you, you have to fill out all these like questions um, and, and give your philosophy and you just send a lot more information. But here they really just want a resume and a cover letter and then they will invite you in right away. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think I came here knowing I was qualified. And then just a lot of people who maybe have had bad experiences getting jobs here. I don't know, different fields are different. But in education, luckily, there are like five international schools here that teach in English. So um, it was not too hard once you get inside the school, because then you start networking right away. And, and from the moment, from the time you sent the application to the school where you started working at until you got the interview, can you tell us a little bit more? How was that? How you felt? Do you have to speak in Danish or in English? How was it? Yeah, I mean, it was all pretty quick. So mm -hmm. I think it was in like mid-August or end of August that I started just sending in my job materials uh, to be a substitute teacher. Um, and I heard back from them pretty immediately, but school hadn't started for one of the schools. So I went in like within a week and then mm -hmm. I was subbing um, right away. <laughs> so that, that process was much easier than a normal, like I think they really need substitute teachers. So it was much easier than an actual uh job interview, I'd say. I just went in and like met with the coordinators that subs for substitute teaching. And then they run a background check and they review your materials and ask about your experience. But they're, they're looking for certified substitutes that can come in and cover people. So it wasn't too hard for that job specifically. Um, I will say like at the same time, I was applying for permanent jobs that were popping up and I just wasn't hearing back from them. Um, these international schools follow like this, this curriculum called the International Bachelorette. It's just a way of teaching. It's, it's their curriculum. And so they're very much looking for people experienced in that. So that was something that was hard. Like it was easy to get a substitute teaching job, but it was hard to actually get something more solid, like a permanent job or a long-term job. And how, um, I'm just curious, um, how do you prepare for, for that interview? So for an interview, I definitely spend many, many days like thinking of stories and writing down notes of previous experiences I've had. I very much prepare like by writing things down and, and just trying to think of experiences I've had that could be related to what I'm about to do. Um, so yeah, I have loads of paperwork <laughs> back in my apartment uh, of just all these examples of like why I love teaching and 
I don't know, experiences I've just had and what I've taught and how I teach. And yeah, I think writing that stuff down is a good way to prepare. So you have it in your head already. And so you're not making it up on the spot, but it's actually like already there. Right. You make up yeah. situations and you um, think of like the best answers that you would give. That's, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, so I like have speech. a list of questions. Yeah, that like go yeah. with my field. So. Mm -hmm. And the day you went into the interview, can you share a little bit more? I don't know if that's possible to share a little bit of how it went or what kind of things um, as a teacher they are looking for. After substitute teaching, then I applied for a maternity cover for a homeroom teacher. Um, in the elementary school, which is, of course, what I'm interested in. And I did apply to that one and got an interview um, at Copenhagen International School for a second grade position. Um, and when they asked me to come in for an interview for this one, it was very much like very official. And they said that there would be, um, well, there'd be a total of five people there. There'd be the principal, the assistant principal, the English as a second language um, specialist, Uh, the second grade teacher and the fourth grade teacher because uh, they actually had two job openings for a second and fourth grade position. Um, and they said they wanted me to do a demonstration lesson. So that means I was going to prepare something to teach. I chose to do a second grade lesson. Um, and we were allowed to message back and forth with the current second grade teacher. So when I was preparing for that interview in particular, it was nice because I knew I wanted um, that I could somehow relate to the second grade. And I had been teaching first grade, so it's not a huge difference. So um, do you understand that uh, correctly, that they like they pair you with another teacher to sort of mentor you on, on the school or, or is it more like to get advice or to so talk to this, you? And in this case for the interview, it was <laughs> like since we're going into a second grade class to teach, it's usually really difficult to just come in and like teach any lesson. Mm -hmm. It's better to like relate it to what they're learning now. So we could email the teacher and ask her um, questions like, what are you doing in math right now? Or what are you doing in writing? Or what are you doing in uh, reading? And then we could construct a lesson based off of that advice from that teacher. So I had reached out to her and I, because I was curious what they were doing in writing Um, because that's something I really like to teach. So I asked and they, I, I found out they were learning um, how to write like a small moment story. And that was pretty ideal because I've taught this, uh, this topic before, like writing about small moments. And, but she also said that it's a, English is a second language class and it's uh, writing is <laughs> probably one of the harder ones to do. But I, I just thought like, you know, this is what I'm good at. I'm going to just go for it anyways. And I asked about some students and if she had any advice. So that was really nice that I was allowed to do that um, in that process because that like information helped me write my lesson plan for a class because I went in knowing like what to expect with the students. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I ended up doing a small moment lesson and first I had my interview and then afterwards was the demonstration lesson. Um, so, yeah, they like took me into the second grade classroom and I remember all five of them were kind of sitting in like a horseshoe. The teachers, they were all sitting in like a horseshoe uh, facing the front where I was. And it was just super intimidating. Um, but I just thought like, I'm just, I just need to ignore them. Like they're not here and I'm just going to teach like I normally would. And yeah, I taught, I taught a lesson for writing. And I thought it went really well. There's, <laughs> there's some things that were, Yeah, I think I referred to one of the, the boys as a girl, like I called on him. And I think I said she because like the boy had long hair. So it's like there's so many awkward things that can happen because you don't know anybody. 
Is there any story that you remember from the kids? Like they're writing the small moments? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So and I would have to think about that. Yeah, I mean, they had just gotten started. And a, a small moment is like writing about something that stands out to you. Um, I don't know if I remember any of the students' writings. Again, like in that moment, everything just felt like such a blur. But it, yeah, it was a 40-minute lesson. And um, we did a bunch of activities. It was really fun. And But I just remember like some of the students having questions later on. And some of the principals would walk around and like start helping. And I, yeah. I just didn't really know what to think of that or if I could like ask one of the, the other teachers who's in the room for help if I needed help or I don't know. It was it was all just like a whirlwind of it went so quickly and it feels like so far in the past now. Yeah. <laughs> But I do remember walking out of there and feeling like, you know, if anything, I felt like that was a really fun lesson. Like that was a really good lesson and I enjoyed teaching it. So anytime like you walk out of a class and you enjoy the teaching, it's a good sign. But I I didn't know I felt very um very intimidated with with all the people there. <laughs> And um, from your experience working in the U.S. as a teacher, um, what would be some like similarities or differences that you have experienced here with the school system uh, and also with the interactions with the students and other colleagues? Um, well, the international school, like Copenhagen International School, you know, There, there were a lot of similarities when I started working there, like with the curriculum, I was very much familiar with like, because they, they use some, they currently use some American curriculum. So for like math, I knew the curriculum they use for reading and writing. I've already was familiar with the curriculum. So I kind of went in already knowing actually and having taught that same curriculum. So that was something that I felt was very beneficial for me. And I think it was one of the things that was helpful in the interview because I was able to talk about how I already know all that stuff. Like it wouldn't be a learning curve for me. I would just be able to start it right away. Um, so that was very much the same, but the, the biggest difference is that these international schools that are the international bachelorette, uh, curriculum, they, they use something, they teach in a, um, inquiry based learning and specifically they have a topic of learning called units of inquiry. And so that was something that was new to me. So that was like a whole new way of teaching and a whole new curriculum that I haven't done before. But um, at this school, they provide a lot of like mentoring and resources. So that wasn't too much of a problem. It was just like learning how to teach kids specifically through inquiry and regarding certain units that relate to the world. So like reducing waste or um, expressing yourself, things like that. That was new. Um, trying to think of anything else that's different, but it's, I mean, it's all, it's all pretty much the same. I mean, the same, like time of day, teach the same subjects. They go off for, um, gym and music and art. It's very similar to in the United States. <laughs> and how has, uh, your interaction been with the kids here? Because they speak in Danish and also other languages besides, um, yeah, English, right? Yeah, they, there most sometimes. of them speak other languages. Yeah. But they, we all speak speak in English in class. And then they have like a strong English as a second language um, program to help mm -hmm. the students who are learning and are at various levels of, of uh, English. And they also teach Danish. So all the kids have to take Danish. Are you uh, sneaking into the classes when they're learning Danish? No. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah, no. 
And um, because we are in Denmark, with everything that's happening right now in the world with the pandemic, um, COVID-19, we were able to open, we were able, like we are, but no, but Denmark was able to open schools. Like, were we the first? Like, were they the first to open schools in the world? I think so. I don't know about the world. I do know it was the first in Europe to open. Um, so I think we opened around like April 14th. And we had actually only had three weeks off of school. Um, but we were one of the first people back like in society here. So I think that's really key to to when we went back because the um, the cases were going down. Many people were still social distancing at home and they decided to send back kids aged like zero through uh, it's like fifth grade. So the younger kids, the primary kids could go back to school um, that early. And yeah, there were a lot of guidelines, but we were definitely one of the first ones back. So the, I feel like the world was kind of watching how that went. Um, but it it proved to be pretty successful. And then like weeks later, they had the middle school kids come back. And then I don't know, like it was some more weeks later, they had the high school kids come back. And it was just kind of like this really gradual progression of returning back to normal for the school's. Um, but yeah, like I said, there are a lot of guidelines, like the kids socially distanced for a while. We only had 10 kids in a class um, per teacher and they stayed in our room all day. So they actually didn't go off to art or music or drama. They had those classes in our class on a screen. So it looked very different. But yeah. Can you share a little bit more about uh, the moment you learned, you know, the schools were going to open soon? Because uh, I follow you on Instagram. I remember reading <laughs> um, a post where you were sharing that you were a little bit confused, that you were trusting this, this is for the best, but it's still there's a little bit of fear, right, to go back uh, into interacting with people when we don't know much about this or we didn't know much about the virus back then in March, right? Yeah. yeah. How, how do you feel? How do you... Um, yeah, experience that moment and then going to school the first day. Yeah, um, it's really weird to think of all my emotions, like what they were like back in April and May, because I felt it, like everything very much felt out of control and that I just had to like go with everything. Um, I remember learning when we were going to go back to school and thinking like, how can this be? We've only been out of school for like three weeks to a month because of Easter break. Like it hadn't even been very long and the, you know, pandemic was just declared a pandemic and we were mm -hmm. going back to school and the rest of the world was preparing to like get Look ready down, for the yeah. big wave. <laughs> yeah, because of course I'm looking back at home, you know, United States and it's just hitting and I'm going back to school. So it just felt very strange. And of course it didn't feel safe because no one else had done it. Like there was no news about any schools. Like there was nowhere for me to read about if this was going to be okay or like if, if it would increase infections or it was just very complicated. And also when they announced that schools would go back, they also announced all the guidelines. And if you were to look at the list of guidelines, you just look at that and you think this isn't possible. Like they're children, this isn't, they're not going to be able to do it. You know, what were some of the, the guidelines uh, that you saw in that document? Yeah. So um, guidelines included the kids needed to be sitting, you know, two meters apart There can only be 10 kids per class. They're going to be in your class all day long. So that means you're going to eat lunch with them, everything. You're going to be with them all day long. Um, they need to be washing their hands every two hours, but they also need to wash their hands before and after um, eating, before and after recess, when they arrive. Uh, the schedules would be staggered. So different classes would start at different times of the day and they would end at different times of the day. 
that was that was because of transportation and pickup so that not all the parents would you know be in the same area um also no visitor visitors were allowed in the building we had to only use like a single bathroom for our class i mean it just goes on and on oh and <laughs> and when they play outside for recess they can only be in groups of five and they need to play with the same five kids every recess. So we had to like break them apart and say, hey, this is the friend group that you have These to play with every day. <laughs> for the next week. <laughs> yeah, for like till the end of school. Like it just seems so impossible. But, you know, the school took it seriously. And, <laughs> you know, it worked out, but <laughs> it was very it was very overwhelming. It was very much like feeling out of control. Yeah, but it it worked. It worked out. The kids were able to play with the four friends. Yeah, I mean, shockingly, yeah, they. I mean, I I teach second grade, so they they definitely have an awareness. They talked with their parents about it, and they really did take it seriously in this situation. They sat apart from each other. They didn't touch anything. Mm. They played with the friends they were given. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. It, they washed their hands and like, you know, even a couple weeks after starting all this, they were the ones to be like, oh, we need to wash our hands right now. Like they started initiating the, or can you stay a little bit further away from me? Yeah. So they really, they really took it seriously. I mean, it was, it was a shock. So are you, um, are you still following the, those guidelines today or is there more freedom when it comes There's to interaction? There's more freedom. Yes. Um, by the end of the school year, um, I had 15 kids in my class. So they went up from the 10 to the 15, which was my class, very small class, I know. Um, and but they were still in my classroom all day long. Like they still didn't go to Danish or drama or art or anything. They were still in my class. They also had an extra recess. So they were outside more than normal. So they stayed with that. Yeah, I think what changed was the distancing rule went from two meters to one meter. So that changed a lot of things because they were able to actually like be closer together. And also in the time in the beginning, the, the country actually had a um, requirement of like only groups of 10. So that went up to like 50. So I, I think that changes a lot because that means like school gatherings are actually kind of allowed. So yeah, I think a lot has changed, but they're still using many of the guidelines. But I have no idea what it looks like for the fall. We'll see. Yeah. And how was also transitioning from teaching in a classroom to teaching online? Because remember that you were also posting <laughs> sharing a little bit uh, the, the journey from, yeah, like creating a class and then being on a call. Were you teaching like each kid right. one on one so, or was it like a classroom know, in Zoom? Or? This was, yeah, this was one of those situations, again, where like you really don't know what to do because it just hasn't been done before. And it was happening before, you know, the spread had even gone to the United States. Like, I don't know. It was just such a weird experience. They were like, OK, schools are closed. I mean, it was just abrupt. It wasn't like we're thinking schools are going to close. They'll close in a few days, get everything ready, and then we're going to start teaching online. It was like they're closed. You can't come back to the building. Now we're going to tell you that you need to remote learn, like remote teach and you need to figure it out from your home. Right. And so I think like the biggest thing was the grade two team that I worked with. Kind of, we kind of came together and said, there's no way we can do this individually as teachers. Like we cannot individually come up with our own math lessons and our own literacy lessons and our own, um, like, you know, name it, like unit mm -hmm. of inquiry, thing after thing after thing by ourselves every single day and create new content and new material every day because it just wouldn't work. Um, luckily, we had a portal called mm -hmm. Seesaw, and I'm sure many places have people have used it <laughs> at schools. But it's like, it's, um, how do you explain it? It's like, a, I don't know, 
portfolio that kids yeah. have. They have their own name and they have their subjects and they can con- they can be in contact with the teacher and get assignments on that portal. And so, like I was saying, we came together as a team and like I worked with another teacher and we created the weekly math lessons. Um, another teacher worked with someone else and they came up with the weekly literacy lessons. And then we would put them on to like a lesson plan and we would share them so that we wouldn't have to each individually do it. Like we paired up and came up with a, um, a topic and focused on that. And that was really helpful because then I knew I could like focus on math, for example, right. and not everything else. Um, so that was good. That was a good way of doing it. And we had a lot of Google meets um, over the phone and video. That sounds like yeah. super fun. I mean, leaving aside the circumstances and because yeah, like why this is happening, but it sounds really fun to be able to like collaborate and create some yeah. sense of like more community, right? Or um, closeness. Yes. It, yeah. Cause it could have gone like another way. And I think it would have been really hard, but it, it was really hard because it felt like a job that didn't end because kids would send, like you'd get notifications mm-hmm. till like 10 PM you'd wake up at 5 AM and there's not, you have like a hundred notifications. You have to check individually each one and accept them or decline them. And it was extremely stressful. <laughs> it's extremely stressful. I think it's very hard, much harder than normal teaching. Do you have to be available then like 24-7 for the kids or? That's how it felt. Okay. <laughs> I don't think there's a way to avoid it. I mean, they say, you know, you need to create a schedule and like create your own working hours. But the hard part was you release assignments in the morning and you start getting notifications immediately and you need to read their notifications and give them feedback and just in a normal classroom you wouldn't be giving each individual thing like that much attention so it was hard to have to go and accept and approve Mm. these these um uh, posts they have and then to look it over and sometimes the quality is really bad and then to give a comment about it and that's only one and then you do that for 15 kids and you do it for four subjects and all of a sudden you're like in the hundreds of you know you're commenting on hundreds of things Mm -hmm. in one day and it just it does become very overwhelming because if you don't do it by three o'clock and it keeps adding up then yeah then you have a ton you have more like a day and a half to the next day it's just it's it's horrible yeah (laughs) but you're you're, you're glad to be back in the classroom (laughs) yeah um and jessica going back to the time when you uh started connecting with other teachers in Denmark um do you meet Danish teachers or other internationals that have been working or were also looking for for a job in that in that field yeah I met mostly international like in that international schools you meet mostly international mm-hmm. uh workers um the Danish teachers I've met actually are there teaching Danish mm-hmm. so they are definitely part of the community but teaching yeah Danish as a language. Now, what were some of the advices that they gave you like from their personal experiences? Like, have they um, been here for many years or they, were they also in your same situation that, um, that they just arrived and were just starting to look for a job? Yeah, you know, it was, it was actually kind of like almost a negative experience, in my opinion, talking with other people who had been looking for jobs. Um, because, you know, I met a lot of people when I when I subbed daily and I would just go in when they called me to cover someone's class or I would also mm-hmm. cover like the after school care or the before school care, you know, um, for kids who are coming earlier, same later. And I met a lot of people there, like in the after school and the before care and also daily subbing, but that were also trying to find a permanent job. And some of them, you know, had been here for like a year 
um, or longer or like it was it was hard for me because that made me feel like, oh, my gosh, is that going to is it going to take me a year to be able to find a job or a year to really get like um, integrated into this like education community? And that was really hard on me because I kept thinking like, well, I've only been here a couple months and why would they like why would they hire me? And you start to get in this like process of really negative thoughts. Um, so I tried to kind of like stop talking to other people and hearing about their experiences because, you know, each of our experiences are own. And, and I knew I came over here qualified and I just kept trying to remind myself, like I've been doing this for three and a half years. And I know the schools, they say like, we want someone with five years of experience. We want someone with the international bachelorette uh, yeah. certification or like experience in the international schools. And I didn't have any of that. And I just kept thinking though, like, but I, but I know that I'm good at what I do. And one advice that I got that I did right away was like substitute teach, like get your foot in the door, like go teach in classes and they will see you teaching. They will like hear about Mm -hmm. you. Teachers will start requesting for you to cover their class. And that's pretty much what I did. I just like started teaching on a daily basis in anyone's class. Um, And it really, it really didn't take long to like, get established and and have teachers trust me as a sub and then be like, Oh, um, you know, Jessica's good. We'll have her cover our classroom or things like that. So I think that is the way, like, if you feel confident in what you do and like, this Mm -hmm. is what you love doing. I mean, I was able to show that while Mm -hmm. substitute teaching for sure. And within two months I applied for the maternity cover and, and I finally got that experience. And then that has since ended. But it's been a lot easier applying for jobs now because yeah. I can say I have a year of teaching at an international school and mm-hmm. it seems to really help. Just having that year, they're like, oh, you're familiar with the units of inquiry. Um, you understand the IB program um, and things like that. So so was it that before you had that advice, you were not really looking into SAP's uh, positions? No, I was subbing. I just wasn't okay. happy about it. <laughs> I kept thinking, okay, I'm going to sub and then I'm going to be stuck subbing. But it really yeah. is more than that. Like, it's not just, it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm lowering my standards and like, I'm going to do something that I don't really want to do. Because of course, I don't want to be a sub every day. Like, it's not ideal at all. You don't even know when you're going to work and they're going to call you at 5am or 10pm and you don't know what you're going to teach. It's like very, it's hard. It's just, you have to be very flexible. Um, So I didn't want to sub, but I didn't know how quickly that would help me, like how quickly I would meet other teachers and um, like gain people's trusts and like the the principals would see me teach. And yeah, I would get to know the kids. That was really rewarding as well, like because I would show up at the school and they'd be like, Miss Jessica, like they know you just by being a sub. And it was just good because you start to like you know, become part of the, the community just by subbing. Yeah. And, and that does lead to something. It opens up doors for more permanent jobs, definitely. And I was thinking what you were saying before, well, while it can be super helpful, right, to go out and meet people and hear their experiences, there's also, um, it is also very important that if we don't feel it's, you know, doing any good, that we take care of our mental health. And, and it's okay to say, okay, um, I'm going to take a break or I'm, I'm okay, um, Maybe not having, not meeting more people, new people, or, or trying to connect because maybe hearing experiences, you know, is um, affecting how I'm feeling about my own journey. And yeah. it's okay to uh, look at your own journey as your own, you know, your own product. So you make it whatever you want to make it. Um, it's good to remember that um, while it's, a, it's great to hear other people's experiences, you can try to make your, your right, yours the way you want it to be. Um, um, yeah. 
Yeah. I am. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I definitely think it's a balancing act because Mm -hmm. when I did the expat in Denmark takeover, it was kind of a similar situation. You get a lot of messages about. Wait, wait, what is that? (laughs) Because the people might not know about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's an expat in Denmark Instagram account and and Facebook group. And I think they're just, they're a, um, a business in general that helps like anyone moving here who's an expat or international. Um, yeah, the Instagram page is what I'm referring to. It's because I, I did a week takeover of it and I shared my experience of being in Denmark. But yeah, they do that every week with different people. And that's been a great opportunity because you can actually reach out to people. And if you see their teacher, you can reach out to them and things like that. Um, so that was great. But when I did the takeover, I got a lot of messages that were that were very like helpful, but also some that were very just gets you thinking like, oh, my goodness, am I even going to get a job here? And again, when you know, when you come over here and people are telling you like, oh, you should really just start out as a waitress. I mean, it's really hard to like think like, no, that's not why I came here. And that's like not who I am. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to that is not what I'm going to do. Like, I'm just I'm going to find a way to do what I love and I'm, I'm going to get there. Like, I just needed to keep reminding myself because right. it would have been really easy to just give up or I don't know. I, I just, I sent in unsolicited applications. Like I definitely did. I, <laughs> I called them in the summer. I mean, you just have to push through it and you have mm-hmm. to get your own foot in the door and be your own advocate, I think, because that's what I ended up doing. And I, I had to just kind of stop listening to some of the other yeah. advice. <laughs> and, and it's okay if you're in transition or you're not sure what you want to do right. It's okay to take any other kind of job that maybe is not in your field, but when you know it's the only thing that you want to do and, and, and it's, it goes beyond uh, whether or not it's your work identity. It's more like it's what you want to be doing every day. So it's yeah. just like push through it, right? Just, yeah, just, yeah. just keep looking for that thing that you want to do. Um, thank you so much for sharing so much information. Like I, I, I feel that I got to learn new things about how applying to teach here works like I otherwise I wouldn't know so thank you for sharing that uh, and can you share a little bit more about like other stuff from the daily life here in Denmark that has been different for you different from what you had in the U.S. Um, well first of all I sold my car in the United States uh-huh. and I don't have a car here and I thought that would be a lot harder but it's not it's not it's like really easy um, the, the metros and getting used to biking it's, it's so easy to bike here. So that's been really different transportation. So mm-hmm. that's huge for me because we didn't have any trains or anything where I'm from um, in Madison. So <laughs> yeah, good, good public transportation. Um, the food is different. I think we've talked a lot about this. <laughs> the food has been challenging. I think like grocery shopping in general was, I didn't realize how like that would be the thing that would be Mm -hmm. so difficult for me. I mean, it took me probably six months to get in a routine of like grocery shopping and then cooking. Like I was just so confused. You know, they have a lot of little stores that you go to and you can never really expect them to have what you want, especially if you're like looking for, okay, like such an American (laughs) example, but if you're looking for like barbecue sauce, like yes, barbecue sauce exists here, but it's like a matter of, finding it, but then it actually being in a place consistently. So if you go to a store, it's like, okay, there it is. And then if you go three days later or a week later, it's not there anymore. So they mix things up It's and they're very small stores. So that was really hard, like getting in a routine of finding food I like here because they don't carry mm-hmm. the same products at all. So like they have their own brands, their own food, their own flavors. And that was just, that was hard for me. It still is hard for me. I miss a lot mm-hmm. of food. Um, 
and yeah, food is like a big part of, you know, like we are what we eat. So yeah. I don't know. It's like, to me, it's, that was a big deal. Um, yeah. So food, but I think the biggest one is that in Denmark, and I've talked a lot about this on my Instagram, but like in mm-hmm. Denmark, people are very much, um, they, they don't want to like talk to strangers. Um, so like the whole small talk thing, you know, if, you know, in the United States, if I went to Target or if I'm in a parking lot or at a bus stop or like, honestly, anywhere, you will be talking to someone like I will meet <laughs> someone new and I will talk to someone. I will have a great conversation and it will make my day at the gym, wherever you are. You talk to people all the time and like you don't even think about it. It's just part of your everyday like, you know, existence It's like you run you you see someone, you make eye contact, you talk, you laugh, you joke, like, I don't know. And I come here and people don't even say hello to each other when they pass each other on the sidewalk. And so many people have said like, oh, you, you say hi to people when you're on the sidewalk. <laughs> like, it's a terrible thing. Like, I make people so uncomfortable. And I had to like, kind of just tone down. I even had to like, start like so many little things. Like I had to start talking quieter on the trains because it's so mm-hmm. quiet on there and nobody talks to each other. And you could, because of course, like, If you're not sitting by someone, you know, you're not going to talk to them. Um, And it's just been really strange trying to like adjust to not acknowledging the people around me. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. Like what I've heard is that, you know, Danes are very close with their families and Mm -hmm. friendships because they go to school in the same class through like their entire life, the same kids. Um, And they build really strong connections. And then it's hard to break into that circle. That's kind of how I always hear it from other people. Um, And and it's been pretty accurate. Like, I've met wonderful Danish people, especially at the international schools. They've been Mm -hmm. very open. Um, But outside of that, like, you will get very strange looks if you say hello to someone. If you try to talk to someone, you can see they look so uncomfortable. Um, So small talk, not a thing here. And you will miss it if you like it, because (laughs) it makes you feel like part of the community. And I do miss that a lot. So I think those three things are the biggest changes, transportation, food, and small talk. (laughs) Small talk. And and like those things feel like nothing, but then all of a sudden they're just a really big part of who you are and you don't even realize it. (laughs) Do you think about that before? Do you ever think, oh, I really enjoy this part of my culture? Or were you aware? Yeah. I miss the like midwestern friendliness i mean i miss that if someone is going to walk by you they're probably going to talk to you like i honestly really appreciate that about my culture now like i didn't know that was a culture thing like i never really think of having a culture honestly but (laughs) i think that is like i think it's like this friendliness that you just you say hello like you talk to them i mean on a daily basis and i do think it it's nice to feel comfortable around people you don't know because sometimes i'm not sure how to approach people here and like what they're open to. Whereas in the Midwest, I do know that if I go up to someone, I am going to be like welcomed. So I think that comfort in the United States, like having that comfort is always really nice. Um, it makes you feel kind of like, yeah, you know, welcomed and noticed. <laughs> yeah, noticed. It's <laughs> the acknowledgement. Um, cool. And can you share more, a little bit more about the things that you like to do? I know you bake a lot. I'm always looking <laughs> yeah. at those pictures of uh, I started baking. Delicious things you bake. <laughs> Everyone brings that up. I'm going to be honest. I <laughs> I don't know if I baked so much when I was back at home, but I did start baking a lot here. 
One of the big reasons, though, is because they don't sell like snacks like we do in the U.S. So I started like cooking and baking a lot here because you just have to make your own. Um, so, yes, I do bake and I do cook. Um, but also my husband and I, we play badminton, which is like <laughs> a sport here. So that's fun. And you can join like um, these community centers and you can be part of a team or you can just go and like rent a court. It's really cheap. Um and it's just really fun. And you can do that with other sports too, like ping pong. And you can go swimming in these community centers, like the pools. So honestly, the community centers are something I take advantage of because they're quite cheap. And they're a great place to like meet up with people and uh, do sports and whatnot. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Yeah, we run. I bike a lot. I bike into the city now, obviously, to get places, but also bike for fun because Denmark is beautiful. I mean, we're on an island. Like there's a mm -hmm. lot of ocean and a lot of beaches. Um, also, it, if you follow my Instagram, you'll also see the trolls. <laughs> Thomas Dambo, the artist here in Denmark, uh, makes these like giant trolls and he calls them hidden trolls. So you have to kind of find them. You, he doesn't ever say the exact location, but they're they're very cool to look for. I would say that's a hobby. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> How many have you uh, have you found so far? Oh, my goodness. Probably like eight. I think eight. In Copenhagen. Yeah. Do you know how many there are? I don't know how many there are. And he just, there's, I think there's six hidden giants, like as part of this official treasure hunt, not treasure hunt, troll hunt. Troll um, hunt. <laughs> yeah. And then, but I just went to two new ones and I know he's putting them all over the place now. So like, honestly, they're everywhere and they're outside of Copenhagen too. Um, but they're just a lot of fun. Okay, well, thank you so much, Jessica. I really appreciate uh, that you share all of, all of this information with us. Are you okay with people connecting with you on Instagram, asking you questions? Yes. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to um, tell people who do the same that you do, who um, are teachers who are moving here or who are thinking about moving to Denmark? Uh, what are some things that you, you will tell them to encourage them? Words of encouragement. Um, yes. <laughs> I think... You know, it depends on the reason you're coming mm -hmm. and how you're feeling about coming. I mean, genuinely, I was terrified and I never pictured like I never dreamed of, oh, I want to grow up and move somewhere else. Like I'm very close to my family. Um, I was very comfortable. I loved my job and I kind of left all of that. And I like people would say, you know, you're going on an adventure. And I, I hated that word because I just was like, I just want a home. Like, that's all I want. I just want to, I want a life. I want, I want to know my doctor. I want to know my grocery store. I want to have a job, like, and have a boring day-to-day -day life. So mm. it was all very scary, but it like really pushed me past my comfort zone and like seeing where I am now, like we just bought an apartment. I have a job lined up for the fall. Like I know two schools very well and I love both of them. Um, and I've passed both of the Danish exams we have to take to be with Congrats. our founders. <laughs> yes, thank you. So, I mean, like all of those things I had fears about. And I did not think I would be able to establish a life that I that I love, especially within a year. Um, but just knowing that, like, you know, it is possible. And nobody can really give you great advice because it's going to be your own experience and things are going to come at a different time. But it will happen. Like, things do work out. And It's okay to be afraid and fear a lot of things, but just like stick with what you want and don't settle for less. Like, you know, if you want that job, like go for that job and keep trying and don't let anybody tell you to do less than you are. Because I think that's the biggest one that has stuck with me is believe in yourself and like it will happen. It, gen it genuinely will. So that's my advice for someone yeah, coming in. But awesome. I was just going to say, 
of course anyone can contact me. Um, I have talked to so many people and like my husband is Danish. So if you need help too, with like visa information or Danish laws, he's been a really helpful person for many people too. <laughs> that's so nice. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jessica. That's, yeah. that's, that's great. I'll, I'll make sure to add all of that information when we let people know about this conversation. Thank you again. Um, have a great week and yeah, keep listening to the podcast. <laughs> Great. Thanks for having me on here, Rita. And I'm so glad to have talked with you. And I think this podcast will be a great resource for many people. And I, I'm excited to listen to the other episodes as well. You see glass everywhere, helmets worn as scarves, people drinking in the street, yet we are so bad, he gets super light. Girl